Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Thanks, Annette. And uh, for this week's dose of inspiration, I'm really looking forward to speaking to Zach. But uh, before we get there, I just want to mention a couple of things. We've had the Young Achiever Awards happening throughout the country. So please do check out our Facebook pages. Easily find them at 7 News Young Achiever Awards. And just add in your state if you want to see your state or check out some other states as well. We've wrapped up Northern Territory, Victoria. And by the time this episode goes to air, I'm sure that New South Wales and uh, maybe even some others have, uh, have gone ahead as well. So some really inspirational people that we've uh, been able to celebrate, share their journeys. And some of those are actually going to be featured on this podcast uh, in times to come. So make sure you do head to Inspirational Australians. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a few other places. So make sure you subscribe and you don't miss any of those episodes. Another place you can find uh, some really good video content is on our YouTube page. Now that's not Inspirational Australians, just to confuse you. That's the Awards Australia YouTube page. And we're featuring some great videos and stories of uh, some of the winners. So check that out. Now, on to today's guest. As I said before, his name is Zach. And uh, looking forward to speaking to Zach Cannell. He was actually a finalist in 2017 in the South Australian Young Achiever Awards in the Webster's Lawyers Service to the Community Award. To kind of sum up Zach's bio would be impossible. He's done so much. And uh, I'm just lucky that uh, we've got some time with Zach this morning on a public holiday to uh, chat about it. But I guess the one thing I do want to introduce is Zach works at Shine SA, uh, where he's employed as a sexual health counsellor. And uh, part of the role there is acknowledging the unique perspective that um, Zach can bring, being a person of trans lived experience. And Zach's also a qualified counsellor. So just beautifully placed to be helping people uh, and making an impact. And I'm going to throw to you now, Zach, welcome. uh, And thanks for your time. No, thanks for having me. So Zach, I want to give you an opportunity now. I want you to, if you can, just uh, tell us a bit about yourself. And I guess I don't want to give you too much of a, this is your story situation, but, you know, a bit about yourself and how you've come to be employed at, uh, at Shine SA. Yeah. Um, so I, I finished high school and kind of wasn't sure where I was going. I spent a bit of time working in retail and kind of then was like, okay, do I want to work in retail or do I want to do something? And I was volunteering with my local council at the time and decided to go and do a cert four in mental health. And was, yeah, actually one of the youth development officers at the local council who kind of helped me push me towards community services in particular mental health, um, where I spent a bit of time working for a local youth mental health service. I was there for about six or seven years. Yeah, I was very lucky that I, yeah, was then just sort of, moving through, I, I finished my Bachelor of Social Work and was kind of going, okay, what's the next chapter in my professional career and where do I see myself? And I just come out as transgender and had started my transition to, to my more authentic male self. Had another position in the interim where I was working as a case manager, again, with young people. And 18 months later, landed at Shine SA. So, SHINE stands for Sexual Health Information Networking and Education in South Australia. And yeah, the the role is really broad, but quite a bit of my work because of my lived experience 
is around working with the LGBTIQA plus community and in particular trans and gender diverse individuals. But it encompasses quite a lot. It's everything from healthy relationships and consent dynamics through to you know, pelvic pain concerns and sexual health related issues like things like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation through to disability education and information. It's, but a lot of that also overlaps some of the not so nice things that can come with sexual health. So unfortunately, things like being a survivor of rape or sexual assault. But it's, it's a really unique service. We're positioned well within a team of doctors, as well as specialists. The HIV Education and Awareness Program with SAMESH, as well as you know, a public library just across the corridor for me where people can come in and grab resources. So yeah, the, the Shine service and the counselling role, it's a really nice wraparound overlapping a lot of you know, just community concerns as well as mental health issues and then the sexual health overload as well. So Zach, it sounded like it was a really interesting timing there in terms of you know, you were doing your own study and, and getting into working with youth and mental health. At the same time, you mentioned you were transitioning to your yeah. um, more authentic self. Did you have someone like your like you to kind of lean on? Because you sound like you're in the perfect position to help people who were going through just what you were. Not, not hugely. When I came out, um, it's coming up almost eight years ago now, the yeah, the, the trans and gender diverse community was very much not spoken about. Um, it's, it wasn't in the media like it is now. And, you know, sometimes it's not always in the media for great reasons. Mm. But yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of services. There wasn't many community groups. It was really poor timing. Um, about three weeks after I started searching for local community, um, I made a phone call to a local youth service and was told, oh, no, sorry, the uh, the group actually finished a month ago. Oh, what? <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was rough. But I did, um, through a mutual friend, um, I met a another local transgender woman and her partner is a trans man. So... Yeah, I got to to meet her and her amazing partner. And yeah, that was a, a lad named Sean. And yeah, he and I then went on to sort of work around, you know, what supports and resources are out there. And we were looking at another community service. And yeah, fast forward then, I think it was about two years later, we decided to start a group that at the time was named FT Men SA. Um, that was very much when the acronym female to male or FTM was still kind of in use. Yeah. Um, but most people are now familiar with it where it's much more inclusive name of trans mask essay. Yep. So yeah, there was very little visibility back then. Yeah, that must have, um, I'm, I'm not gonna, uh, what's the word there? I'm not gonna uh, imagine what it was like because I've got you to talk to, but was that kind of lonely until you met Sean and had that someone who you know could relate to what you were going through? Yeah, it, it was quite isolating. Um, there was, you know, sort of, you're, you're sitting on this journey and you're going, I don't feel okay within myself and I, I, don't, I don't like who I am essentially. And I was in a really low place at that point. But I knew, you know, I'd watched a few videos on YouTube and, you know, I, I knew that there was other people like me, 
but it was just kind of I had no one local to talk to you know no one to go oh this is where you can you know go buy resources or this is you know these are friendly doctors and counselors you can go see and you know there was nowhere like you know if you if you want to learn how to to do this particular thing to help you know maybe affirm your identity a bit more yeah there was there was nobody there was no real Facebook groups Facebook was still in its infancy then as well we were, I think we'd only a couple of years ago crossed over from MySpace. So <laughs> <laughs> groups and things didn't exist the way they do now. It was, it was pretty lonely. It's so different now. You're right. We um, probably could be easy to take it for granted with just how easy it is to connect with someone on the other side of the world who, uh, and how yeah. easy to search for these things now. Yeah. I mean, I, I started a group um, with a few, a few friends and, you know, we, we very quickly skyrocketed. I think the group's now past 18,000 members around the world. Um, it's just a private Facebook group. But yeah, now there's Discord channels and there's, you know, your, your Facebook groups and messenger groups. And it's really cool. There's so many more ways to connect and there's loads of YouTube videos, like local people, just everyday people doing, you know, unboxing videos of resources, and, you know, first time wearing a binder and how it feels and, you know, tips and tricks on how to, to come out and disclose and stay safe about your identity. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of coming out about it was, um, yeah. And anytime, let me know if you prefer not to talk about anything, but, um, yeah. how was it with, uh, with your own family and, and friends and making that kind of, uh, you know, or having that discussion with them? I was pretty lucky with my family. Um, my, my parents are amazing. They've been so supportive through pretty much everything that I've thrown at them. And yeah, when I, I came out to my, my parents, I think it was like a Saturday night or something like that. Um, and I sat down super serious at the, the kitchen table and was like, I need to tell you folks something. And mum kind of in jest was like, Oh, let me guess you're a guy. And I'm like, um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Good guess, Mum. So, yeah, like spot on, gold star. So <laughs> dad, on the other hand, took a little while to warm around. I I think just as, you know, his his firstborn child and the, the oldest daughter, he was kind of like, I think he was kind of grieving a little bit. There was this mm. sort of adjustment period as well as, you know, this is, you know, for the last 25 odd years, you've been, you've been my little girl. So, yeah, for dad, it took a little while. But yeah. when I told him that, you know, I asked my mum what name I wanted to take. And she was like, so I was originally looking at Tobias. I quite liked the shortened version of Toby. Yeah. But mum was like, well, you know that if you were born a guy, we already had the name Zach picked out. Really? And the name Zach is actually, it's just the three letters, Z-A-C. And it's an acronym in itself. So my initials spell my name. It's Zach Allen Cannell. And Allen is my dad's name. So when I said to him, I'd actually really like to do that. Yeah, I think that helped bring dad and I a little bit closer. And yep. ever since he's been one of my biggest supporters, like every birthday, he sends me a happy birthday son. And yeah, he's, my parents are amazing. I'm very yep. lucky. You literally gave me goosebumps then, Zach, on my arm. Like <laughs> that is a beautiful story about, and just the connection and um, the fact that, yeah, your mum was like explaining all of that. Oh, that's really nice. And it's, it's uh, really cool. 
Yeah. And super meaningful. Like about you talking about your identity, your authentic self. It sounds like it was meant to be. Um, yeah. It was, it was an amazing experience. My, you know, my, my parents were kind of not surprised for me. There was, you know, lots of little things over history that they could pinpoint. Yeah. And that's not the same for everyone. Like many people that I've met and worked with their, their, you know, their stories are all uniquely different, but yeah, for my parents, it didn't come as much of a surprise. I was always, you know, sort of more tomboyish, I guess they was the language back then, but yeah, it, it was cool. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that story because I think, you know, for some people, uh, different ways of living, um, are foreign to them. It could be anything. It could be, yeah simple things, um, complicated things, whatever it is. And just hearing people's stories uh, and their experiences. And it's just, it, it lets us all learn more. It lets us all understand what other people are going through in their life. And everyone's just the same. We're all just humans that want to be seen. We want to be, we want to be happy in ourselves. And so, yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. And uh, kind of, before I forget, I did want to ask this question. Um, I do this all the time, so I should have my notepad <laughs> handy. But uh, you said earlier, trans mass was a, a, the common um, term. So that's M-A-S-C, right? Yeah. So that's kind a, of a shortened, masculine shortened. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, male as an identity, masculine as an expression. So in, for example, in the trans masculine group, we've got folks in there who identify as non-binary, or they, you know, they're gender fluid or agender, gender queer. So we've got those who identify as transmasculine. It's a really individual sort of self-label. The idea being that transmask is kind of an, an umbrella term. The unique thing that brings everybody together is that they were all assigned or presumed female at birth, but they don't identify in that sense. And yep. yeah. Yep. And that was, um, you know, we were messaging before this and that was the acronym you'd use a AFAB, AFAB, um, and P that's what you were saying. It's signed female at birth and presumed female at birth. That's what that means, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So assigned, you'll often hear the, the trans and gender diverse community kind of use them a little bit interchangeably. Um, there's a bit of a movement to, to move towards presumed female at birth. It's that kind of language between assumption and presumption. Mm. good old English language <laughs> True. but the assigned female at birth is kind of incorrect and I'm it, we use that more in terms of the intersex community particularly where a young person when they're born has been medically assigned a sex or gender based on the the doctor at the time so we know that there's a lot of human rights issues with the intersex community to move away from interfering with children where it's not medically required yeah, that's where that language of assigned sex at birth comes from or assigned gender at birth and presumed is kind of like, oh yeah, you pop the kid out and you go, all right, looking at the genitals, we can go, that's a pretty safe presumption that that's a girl or a boy. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, presumed uh, gender at birth, can you tell me a little bit about the work that you've done, Zach? Uh, you're part of an advocacy group that got the births, deaths and marriages SA legislation amended. Um, can you describe <laughs> what that was, how it came about? And uh, yeah, and I guess, you know, it for me as well, explaining what the outcome, what that means. Yeah, um, 
it was an incredible experience. So, and not always in the good sense. Mm, okay. the, the legislation was called the Sex Reassignment Act. Back in 1988, when it was put into place, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Like it, it enabled a person to be able to access healthcare. It enabled a person to be able to legally change their gender marker on their birth certificate, but the requirements, they were strict. You would have to go through this process and it was costly and it was invasive. And when we look at things like the human rights charters, it was, yeah, it was unethical. So, so just to um, interject a little bit. So if I was to, <laughs> if I wanted to change the gender on my birth certificate, what would be like one or two of the main options that I had back? Well, back yeah, back when that legislation was in place, you were required to have a irreversible surgical procedure that affirmed your gender. So for trans mask folk, that often meant that they were fortunate enough to to get away with things like chest surgery, where they would have the, the breast tissue reconstructed and contoured. But that would often mean for our, our trans feminine community that they were looking at things like gonad removal and vaginoplasty and things like that was much more invasive. The law also differed across each region. So New South Wales, for example, they haven't got their legislation changed yet. And it requires things like chest surgery and a hysterectomy for a trans guy. So, you know, you're forced to be surgically sterilized, essentially. Oh. When this was changed, well, before you would get this process, you would have to go to a psychiatrist and you would have to be medically diagnosed with gender dysphoria or back at this point in time, it was gender identity disorder. So it's very pathologizing. Yeah. And basically, so you, again, the message there is that you've got something wrong with you and we need to diagnose. Yeah, you. exactly. So you would go through to the psychiatrist and you would go on hormone therapy uh, once you met the criteria of the psychiatrist and you would then spend 12 months, you know, sort of on hormone therapy doing this lived experience kind of thing, which again has now gone the way of the dodo generally, thankfully. You would then be approved and referred to a particular surgeon. We, we've only got three surgeons in the state who even do this work. But at that stage, there was only the one. You would meet the surgeon and do the thing. Once you'd had your surgery, you had to go back to the psychiatrist. You had to get an affidavit signed off. You had to get a second affidavit from the surgeon to state that, yes, they've done the procedure. You had to apply to the courts and to birth, deaths and marriages. You had to go before a judge. And mine was really unfortunate the day that I went. Um, normally, it would be in closed chambers. It would just be you, the judge and a witness. The day that I went, the judge that was supposed to be the one doing it was unwell. So I had to go before an, an open court. Yeah, thankfully it was just the judge, security, the typey person. I think there's a fancy name for that. Stenographer, uh, maybe? I'm trying to remember if that's That's the, right. the one. <laughs> yeah, I knew it started with an S. I'm like, it's not a sonographer. That's the ultrasound person. <laughs> so yeah, and there was a couple of people sort of just sitting in the waiting area and like, it was surreal, but it is you then have to all you waited 28 days after that. You then got a gender recognition certificate. Then you go back to birth, deaths and marriages. And then they would be like, okay, cool. Here's your new birth certificate. Well, so, and that was, there was timeframes that went with each of those things. So it took about six months and about you know, six, seven hundred dollars later. The, the process now, 380 odd dollars to change your name and gender market together. You go to your doctor or to a clinical psychologist, the, the practitioner goes, yep, 
you've met the requirements, which is essentially you've undertaken 180 minutes of clinical counselling. You understand that you're, you're changing a legal document and that comes with benefits as well as risks and you're making an informed decision. And now you can have male, female, you can have an X gender marker, which indicates non-binary and gender diverse. Or if you're part of the intersex community, you can have, well, it's not a great term, but um, government kind of wasn't okay with our recommendation on this, but it's uh, yeah, indeterminate. It, now at least we, we know that from the intersex human rights perspective, we've still got a long way to go. Yep. But on this avenue, it meant that there was no longer a requirement for hormone therapy. We know that are many you know, trans and gender diverse folk, they don't want hormone therapy or they can't access it for many reasons. And there was no requirements for surgery either. Mm. So it was a self-affirmed model and it enabled a person to actually have bodily autonomy. So, yeah, it seems to me that that's a really positive result. Is, is that kind of how it's viewed? Yeah, it's, it's much, much better. And I mean, the process in getting there, you know, there was petitions and there was meetings in parliament and there was lots of letter writing and, you know, there was lots of letters to the editor and the paper and Facebook petitions and change.org petitions, but it was worth it. Yeah. Well, yeah, well done. That must be a, a good feeling to be part of something like that, that, it, you know, that's bigger than yourself as well. That's, making yeah. a huge difference for so many people. It's, it's one of those things. It's like, it, it seems like it's something so simple just to be able to change the letter on a, on a piece of paper, but the, the impact that that has on a person's life and well-being, it's, it's an incredible feeling to be part of such, such a history moment. Yep. And uh, I might be asking a question that is difficult to answer, but do you know, is South Australia quite, are they an early adopter of that type of, move or is it something that um that's already happening around australia i think we were actually the second i think the act had done it first they usually um, get in first don't they yeah the for, you, know, you, you sort of sit there and you're like you're you're the home of parliament where it's usually so difficult to do anything but you're quite progressive um <laughs> but i mean federally this had already been in place since 2013 so there was a document there that it was the Australian government guidelines for the sex and gender recognition. And it was, you could essentially change everything at the federal level. So your flybys card through to your passport yep. with just a letter from a doctor. There was, and it clearly stipulated hormones and surgery were not a prerequisite. Why the states took so long to adopt this and why some still haven't mm. is just, yes, it's confusing. It is. But, yeah, South Australia was the second. And I think uh, after that, I think it's Victoria and then Tasmania. And Tasmania went one step further. They took the, the ability to go, okay, we can take birth gender off of the, the birth certificate altogether. So they were still okay. collecting the data. It was all still there. It just didn't need to be on the piece of paper. Yeah, that's true. When you think about what, what it's there for, and I guess when it gets referenced, yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, they still write it down at birth and they still count it in all the census information. It just doesn't need to be on a piece of paper for when you go and get your driver's license because it's not on there either. So, yeah. Um, speaking of South Australia, you know, we uh, one thing that's synonymous with the SA in Adelaide is the crows. And I understand <laughs> that you've, uh, you know, for me personally, it take takes a lot for me to bring up the crows voluntarily. I'm a power supporter. But um, 
So I, I won't hold it against you. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I understand that you've uh, you've done some work with with that with the football club there. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, for for a couple of years, I was very fortunate to work alongside the the Adelaide Football Club as part of an official supporter group um, called the Rainbow Crows. It was Brett McInerney who started it a few years back. I think it's now five years old. And the idea of the group was to essentially create a, a safer space for people in the Rainbow community to enjoy the football. So, yeah, as part of the, the Rainbow Crows, um, we would sort of work to go and acknowledge that in amongst the, the men's league, for example, we don't have a, a single out person. There is not one guy in the men's AFL league that has disclosed he is of a different sexual orientation at all. We know that there are players. We've, we're aware at a grassroots level that there yeah. are players, well, but they're not publicly out. Yeah, even just from a, you know, you mentioned the census earlier, like you talk about the, the percentage of the population. Mm. It has to be, surely. Yeah. It would be, yep. it would be good to, to hear those stories, but, but I guess still such a uh, boys club kind of situation in the AFL that people are perhaps aren't comfortable to uh, to make yeah. that known. So a lot of people, you know, when we, we started this group, well, when Brett started this group and I came on board, it was that notion of, you know, why are you making AFL so political? And it's like, well, my life isn't political until other people make it so. Mm. I just want to live. And when you go to the football, you would hear a lot of slurs and you would hear a lot of toxic, horrible language that made people feel really unsafe. You know, we know that men are unfortunately responsible for a, a lot of, of that language and a lot of violence and they've got a lot to be accountable for. And Brett creating this group helped launch that platform that in amongst the Adelaide Football Club that that kind of behaviour wasn't okay. And yeah. the club was really receptive. Like they made it an official supporter group They've helped support the sponsor of the group and, you know, worked with the AFL to create videos and things like that, that raise the awareness that we exist and that we're not trying to, to create, you know, this big queer army. We don't have a gay agenda. I'm still trying to work out what the gay agenda is. If you'll <laughs> find out, let me know. <laughs> but it was, you know, we just wanted a safe space where we could be ourselves and not hear, you know, horrible slurs being, you know, yelled at the players or yeah. the umpires. And totally. It, it was fantastic. No, that is great. It is funny. Not, it's not funny, actually, at all. But uh, with the, the footy, you know, I remember as a kid, you come along and uh, one of the things that's just totally normal is just yelling out that um, the umpire is a maggot. Yep. And like, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yep. that's just normal. Everyone kind of did it and like yeah it's fine you just abuse the umpire don't worry about it <laughs> yeah and I mean I know that people don't like umpires and you know there are many games where I've gone are you blind ref oh, of course but, Every it, game. <laughs> but it's like why do we then put this incessant bullying on it like that's yeah you may not agree with their decision but that's a human being yeah like they go home at the end of the game and you know they have to live with hearing those things yelled at them day in and day out and the players like if they miss a goal like they're, they're booed and, you know, they're heckled. And when people are then, you know, yelling out homophobic and transphobic slurs, it's like, that's that's not cool. Very true. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of that umpire, the one uh, he's quite famous, actually. He's got his the nickname. 
environmental bank. This is a bad story. I have to look it up now <laughs> so I remember his name. But I'm, this umpire, I've met him and uh, he spoke at an event I went to and, uh, you know, they're just trying their hardest. <laughs> Going off mm. the rails here, we're talking about umpires. But anyway, it is one of those things that you're <laughs> right. The, the language and the abuse and the slurs, yeah, it's not required. It's not. So Football the Rainbow Crows. Just as good as a game if you stamp out all of that stuff and uh, it'll be exactly. better because it'll be more inclusive. Exactly. Like people just want to go and just be able to watch an amazing game with their friends and family. That's it. So the, the Rainbow Crows, you know, we were the, the first ones to march at Mardi Gras. We, you know, we actually had a dedicated float where we went to Sydney and we, we raised the profile there. We've been able to, to hold the banner and we stood on the grounds at Pride Round. And, you know, my role as the diversity and inclusion officer at the time was, you know, trying to, to promote and get that visibility out there. You know, so getting trans and gender diverse people who had been, you know, because using bathrooms in, in any public situation as a gender diverse person can be terrifying, let alone at the football. Yeah. Making sure that people felt that they could can be themselves. And by being so blatantly there, and then amongst, you know, a, a little group of people who were not so little group by the time we got a couple of years in, you know, it was fantastic. And the the official Adelaide Football Club supporters group embraced us with open arms. And yeah, if you ever get the chance to go along, like they do regular ticket held games, things like that, go, it's incredible. The atmosphere and the support and the camaraderie and just being able to be yourself, it's an unforgettable experience. What a great way to, uh, to yeah, to experience the footy, as you said. Yeah, and nothing better than a live game. Now, can I ask from your perspective, um, you know, you, you touched on safety, and I know that can be, you know, a significant issue for people who are feeling unsafe. In terms of um, your bathrooms and things like that, what is the the safest or the most comfortable way for for you and people who are, um, you know, trans male or, or the other way, trans female, to, uh, to do that? It's, it's difficult. I mean, I'll acknowledge that, you know, as a, a trans guy, my experience is from about three months on testosterone therapy. I recall I was in the Maya Center um, in Rundle Mall in the city and kind of was like, I need to go to the bathroom. I can't wait till I get home. The, I don't like using the accessible bathroom. I know that many trans and gender diverse folk do because it's a single stall bathroom. Yeah, that being a busy public place, that that didn't feel okay for me. So I went to walk into the women's bathroom, hoping that I was just kind of like could walk in and out. And this adorable little kid just kind of, you know, probably would have only been about maybe five or six. Sort of, we opened the door at the exact same time, and she was like, "Ew, this is the girls' bathroom," and it was just like the most innocent thing. Yeah, like this kid, and I kind of was like. Uh oh <laughs> instant yeah. moment like crap what do i do what do i do so i was like oh sorry and that was the first moment where i didn't have a chance to overthink it i just walked into the guy's bathroom had no clue what i was looking at or doing walked straight into a stall and peed washed my hands and left and was yep. just like i got out into the food court sat down and was just like Oh my God, that happened. <laughs> it was a, a so, so overwhelming experience, but I, everything was on the fly. So I didn't have a chance to overthink it and get super yeah. anxious about it. But I know that for many of like my trans feminine community, like 
bathrooms are a huge issue mm. for many trans guys we because testosterone is such a powerful hormone we we're very very fortunate nobody thinks that i was born female when they look at me but for trans women they're often you know they might be taller voice may be deeper testosterone is a powerful puberty to go through yeah and many of those identifying factors that come with that being on an anti-androgen medication and an estrogen medication may not be able to overcome that. And we know that when it comes to the media, that a lot of the, the demonization that comes with being trans and gender diverse is aimed at trans women, particularly mm. trans women of color. When it comes to safety, one of the advocacy is around protecting trans women because there is a high risk of violence and assault. We know that the media often per, you know, perpetuates that this, you know, this is men trying to get into women's spaces and you know, similarly in football clubs and sports and things like that, we saw the the hatred again aimed at Hannah Mouncey. People just want to go to the bathroom. They just want to be able to do their thing just like every other human being on the planet does and go about their day. Like bathrooms are and change rooms are a really scary place and they shouldn't be. Yeah. They don't need to be. So, um, you know, I've seen a little bit more often now when there's new cafes and restaurants it's not everywhere, but it's a trend that I've noticed. Um, and I wonder if this is, you know, silly me just walking around living my life as a white heterosexual male with the easiest life in the world. But um, <laughs> there seems to be a lot more now unisex where you can go in and it's just, um, you know, open up and there's five individual, four, indiv however big or small yeah. doors. And it's just like, you just use whichever one. And inside there, there's the tap and the toilet. That just seems like a no brainer from now on. Uh, new buildings yeah. new um, stuff being built so uh, is that kind of is there advocacy going on that I'm not aware of that's kind of saying hey this is a really good option yeah there's many more places you know at China Safe for example the the building all of the bathrooms are degendered even the previous bathrooms where they they did have you know the male and female sign on them they now just say all gender bathroom stalls and urinals or single stalls yeah new buildings where we're really encouraging just build stalls and taps like people will use the bathroom and go about their day i mean i don't know about your bathroom at home but all genders use my home bathroom so it's not, not a much problem. of a difference <laughs> so we do acknowledge that um you know in some areas where cultural diversity where there is you know religious and faith-based that having things like the accessible bathroom where it is a single occupancy bathroom is quite valuable and important but if you've got the stall and you've got the tap and the bathroom toilet facility in the one spot that's that's perfect people can do their own thing in privacy and they leave yeah. if you've got the stalls and then you've got the taps on the outside that's not an issue generally either all we generally ask is wash your hands. <laughs> it's, you know, doesn't matter if it's a global pandemic or not, go to the bathroom, wash your hands, then leave. <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, switching subjects a little bit purely because I don't want to, you know, there's a lot to, to get um, to talk about and I don't want to miss stuff. So, you know, with Shine SA, we talked about that at the start and your work there, and obviously that's your uh, employment. Another thing I wanted to mention is your work in, um, you know, and you touched on this, working with young people and mental health, but you're actually a master youth instructor is that right for mental health first aid yeah so i've been doing that now for about eight or nine years where i was trained by mental health first aid australia to 
to deliver the youth mental health first aid course. And I've run that many courses now that I can do it in my sleep, but have attained master status. So what does that mean? It essentially means that I'm considered um, to be someone who is proficient in the course content, yep. can work with newer instructors as a mentor, help contribute, you know, when mental health first aid comes out and says, hey, we, you know, we need feedback and we need guidance on, on content um, that the master instructors are the first ones they'll come to when they're looking at employing within mental health first aid Australia master instructors because of our experience so long in the sector and the amount of content that we've run the val like the feedback value is is really quite good quality it essentially means that you've reached a kind of an expert status in the yeah. content well i'm asking the right person then because uh, i've wondered <laughs> this i've heard about mental health first aid you know a, a, a fair bit now and hmm. uh, what exactly is involved in terms of um you know if i was to take this course what are kind of some of the things that i've learned about it's a it's a two-day course and it's how to learn to recognize someone who's experiencing mental health distress and um, whether that be in a moment of crisis or worsening mental health the the first sign of segment of the content is around raising awareness of just how common mental ill health is in the community yeah that it's it's not this big taboo that it impacts everybody regardless of demographic it doesn't discriminate so when we talk about for example things like um, raising awareness and educating the community we look at things like you know in the first segment we talk about men's suicide rates women are more likely to attempt suicide men are more likely to complete the suicide we know that men will use a more lethal means typically and are less likely to have reached out for support there's this whole masculinity notion of you you don't talk about it yeah but the the most recent stats actually do indicate men are talking about it but the numbers are still increasing of the amount of men that are taking their life but we also talk about other minority groups as well so first nations community again lower life expectancy higher risk factors the lgbtiqa plus community young people the elderly particularly those who have lost their life partner or are no longer feeling as though they've got the same level of support and value. We know that those who have hit middle age and kind of going, what now? So there's all these little areas and talking about mental health, it's one of those things that part of the course is to destigmatize this. Yeah. That as you go through each topic, you go through depression, you go through anxiety, you go through eating disorders, you go through substance misuse and abuse. And as you go through each of these areas of content, not only are you learning about the illness and you're learning about the warning signs, but you're learning how to be a first aid responder. Mm. So no one's expected to leave the course as a qualified counselor or how to know to say all the right things, but you know how to help call emergency services. You know how to help identify when a person might be needing support and who to call you know the basic things of how to go okay it looks as though you know things aren't quite right at the moment let's look at some practical supports get you into a safer space you know maybe a quiet area drink of water do you need a blanket something to help calm you down and let's call mental health triage or triple zero so by the end of the course they've got a manual that they can take away and read they've got 
you know, this knowledge now that they can go out and just as if they were to, to go out to the community and see someone who's having a seizure or may have fallen and broken a bone, they can help someone who's having a, a mental health crisis as well. For sure. And so if someone was uh, listening to this and was thinking, I think I should do this training, can you recommend uh, the, the best way for them to get started on that? Yeah, so jump onto the, uh, the Mental Health First Aid Australia website and you'll find there's a find an instructor or find a course tab and if you've got a specific instructor that you're, you know of you can type their name in or you can just type in by by state and narrow it down and there's different courses as well so you know i teach the youth version there's a a first nations version for the aboriginal and torres strait islander community there's an adult version there's a senior citizen there's multicultural versions find what suits what you're feeling as though you need and yeah, it'll bring up all the available courses in your area. Brilliant. That's awesome. So with this uh, you know, mental health first aid course that you are now a master in, have you found that's been um, you know, helpful in your employment and, and you know, in all the other areas that you are? You know, and, and also the fact that you're admin of the, um, you know, the Facebook group you mentioned earlier, you must get so many uh, comments and people reaching out. Has it kind of you know, been helpful for you to... Yeah, it's it's been something. I mean, when you're working with with people, you know, it doesn't matter if you belong to a minority group or not. People have a bad day, and sometimes that bad day goes for you know a period of time that really gets in the way of someone's day to day world and life. So yeah, having that that knowledge background, I'll often get my dad call me, and he's like, "Hey, you know, one of the guys at work has you know mentioned this to me. Do you have a few things that you could suggest?" And yeah, it's not just at work, it's you learn how to better communicate and chat with someone, you know, even just who's having a rough day on the cash register at Coles. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really helpful. Go your dad. Talking about uh, <laughs> mental health and people at his work, fantastic stuff. Um, He's a good dude. Speaking of, you know, mental health and, uh, you know, taking care of yourself as well, what do you kind of do to, to unwind or relax? Um, I do a few things. Probably just sitting and chilling with my cat is one of my favorite. Um, But yeah, I I like playing video games. I like playing guitar and just chilling out. I love geocaching. It's like this worldwide treasure hunt kind of thing. But yeah, trying to spend time with with friends is, you know, probably something that I really do value. And, you know, one of my my favorite pastimes um, is chilling with the, you know, the leather community. I'm a a member for with Adelaide Leather and Fetish and it's essentially it's a social group of people who like wearing leather who identify as part of the LGBTIQA plus community and yeah you know there's when I first entered the leather community there was this misnomer that it was just cis gay men yeah and just this exclusive boys club yeah it's not yeah I've since went on and, you know, Adelaide Leather and Fetish follows the same platform guidelines as the international Mr. Leather titles um, when it comes to like the competitions and things. Yeah. So that's a worldwide thing. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Like I I entered just to find, you know, local people, you know, I loved wearing my leather jacket, leather gloves. And then I discovered, you know, that there was in addition to just your bike gear, you know, I'm, I rode my motorcycle for a while and put your leathers on and ride safely. And 
but for people this was also you know it, it was a bit of a fetish for some yep. people it was it was arousing and it was fun and I wasn't alone but I was like okay as a trans guy can I go into this community mm. and will I be accepted for who I am fast forward a couple of years I ended up standing on stage at a competition to be recognized as Mr Adelaide Leather 2019 yeah I won the title and I then got to, to travel a little bit before the pandemic hit and nice one yeah I've since spoken on webinars and things all around the world and it's it's been incredible and I'm hoping that yeah when we can get most of things reopened I'm, I'm thinking that I think it's October or November that yep. yeah the the international titles are, are hoping to be held in Chicago again this year and one of my previous title holders yeah he's looking at going over and going to be competing and representing as part of the Australian cohort and but just being able to be part of that and I'm I'm one of you know there's now quite a, a number of trans folk in particular who are current Australian boot black you know leather carer is a trans man and we've got you know there was a, a fella in in Queensland um 2015 I think was his title yeah so yeah we've got an international Mr Transgender like yeah he took the title that was D our title holder for Australian puppy is a trans man as well that's awesome so, so you yeah, know it's you, a bit of a family yeah and I think um no I personally didn't realize that those kind of you know groups which like as you said it's fetish and, and some people think okay that's that is a very exclusive how, how do you you know mm. a small amount of people in there only very exclusive and uh I didn't realize that that maybe wasn't including trans people and so it just goes to show that you know you're actually needing to break down barriers everywhere not just uh you know in terms of birth certificates this is like very far reaching so yeah that's awesome that uh mm. had that success and, a, you know it's not just about sex and fetishes like because part of your role as a title holder is around community work you know, in the middle of a pandemic, I still wanted to to do the part of my title that was raising awareness and promoting a charity. And, you know, when you, you sort of sit there and you're in this niche group, not only are you dealing with your own sort of, your trans and gender diverse, and you're trying to have a public platform, which, you know, I, I, I was hassled during my title year. There was a couple of individuals in particular who you know, because I am a bigger guy and, you know, there was a lot of body shaming from just random people. And there was people who were like, no, trans people shouldn't be in the community. It's, this is a gay men's thing. It's like, no, there's women and non-binary folk and trans folk and you're wrong. Mm. But, you know, I was still able to raise a thousand dollars for the local charity Befriend that works with the LGBTIQA plus community here in Adelaide and was still able to, to get out and be visible and, to let people know that my body, regardless of what sex or gender I'm assigned or identify with, is not up for discussion and I'm here. Good on you, Zach. And I think with fetish, like, let's be honest, it's sport. <laughs> fetish, they're all just things that we people like. <laughs> you it's know, all about community. Yeah, I think people just need to worry less about a label. And uh, this is great. We're chatting to you. We're realising people hopefully realizing that uh, we're just all normal people. We all like different stuff. I love yeah. coriander. Some people don't like coriander. I can't personally understand it. <laughs> now they don't like it. <laughs> but, the, uh, the, the big question though, Josh, do you like pineapple on pizza? 
I mean, I like almost everything. So yes, I'm happy to have pineapple on pizza. I don't typically order it, but if it's on there, I'm not taking it off. I'm eating it. Oh, debatable, my friend, debatable. <laughs> I know, it raises eyebrows, the pineapple one, doesn't it? It does. I've seen it like, it's like the blue dress, gold dress discussion all over again. Which one oh. do you see? Well, you know what my kids, uh, especially my three and a half year old, loves Hawaiian pizza with olives. And uh, got to say, she's onto something. Oh, I know. It sounds, some people what? will be like, that is basically, uh, what's the word? It's her- heresy to uh, to do that. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if you're, you know, raising a culinary genius or, a, you know, someone who's going to be outcast from society. Like that's... <laughs> It could go either way, for sure. That's uh, polarizing. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> well, uh, well, hopefully you can go to Chicago in November. Yeah, not this year, know. but hopefully oh, in the years to that's, come. That's next year, is it? I hope, well, yeah, I'm looking at Australian titles first. But yeah, Patrick um, is the, the fellow who took the title in 2018. Yeah, he's going to be heading over to Chicago and I wish him all the best. And yeah, he'll be hopefully bringing a sash home. But if not, it's it's still going to be incredible to hear everything that he's done and seen and to to learn from his experience as well so for sure you mentioned that you were chatting to people around the world um on zoom and so you also mentioned to me uh, off air there was the hiv 2020 conference can you tell us what was it like being part of that you know that people from all over the world kind of uh, coming together via zoom yeah it I mean, when we talk about things like like HIV and and AIDS, like they're they're still so heavily stigmatized and still so much misinformation. And as as a trans man, there's very limited information and resources and medications like PEP and PrEP, you know, post exposure prophylaxis and pre exposure. They're you know they're still working out how they affect different people, and being able to not only as a sexual sexual health educator, but as a trans man and as someone who is engaged so closely in the community and, and has had a HIV scare, being able to to have those those communications, those conversations on on a global platform was was incredible. You know, you're sitting on a panel with people who are HIV positive and sharing their story and you're sitting with those who are experts in their field at working with those who are positive and living with HIV. And yeah, it's incredibly empowering. It, it's one of those, as you described earlier, it's a goosebumps moment. That's great. Now, Zach, uh, we are running out of time. So I, I want to end on this one last question for you. And yeah. uh, I want to find out who or, or what inspires you. I think it's just those little acts of kindness. I'm one of those people who will walk through the shopping center or when I see my neighbors and things like that, you just kind of nod and smile. You know, it's something that my dad instilled into me pretty young is, you know, the world needs more love. It's his, it's basically his catchphrase. It's one of those things. It's like, just smile at someone. You don't know what an individual is going through. You don't know what their day has been like and what their world is at the moment. A gentle smile can really change the way someone feels and it's small, but powerful. That's those Everybody. little things, those little random acts. Yeah, that that inspires me. Yeah. Everybody needs more love. Is that it? Pretty much, yeah. It's good. It's, you're right. It's simple. It's a little bit cheesy and corny, but that's yeah, in a way what makes it good <laughs> because you remember it. And it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Well, Zach, uh, if people want to connect with you, 
Um, he let us know how they do that. And, you know, for example, you mentioned some of those Facebook groups and things. People might have been uh, interested in that and wanting to be part of it. So uh, can you let them know, you know, how to, yeah. to get in touch? So I admin, um, alongside a few other amazing folks, the Trans Mask Australia page. I've got the Trans Mask South Australia Facebook page, as well as the, the closed group. Um, you'll find my Mr. Adelaide Leather 29 page on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, professionally, you can connect with me via LinkedIn, or you can reach out to me via Shine SA as well. Lovely. Well, thanks for your time, Zach. As I said at the top, on a public holiday, probably <laughs> came at a good time because I might not be able to, uh, to get you otherwise. You sound like a very, very busy person, but for all the right reasons. So thank you once again. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been a, a great, great chat this morning and I've really appreciated the, the time to get to know you as well. Thanks, Zach. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com slash podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia, a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. Head to our website, awardsaustralia.com for more details. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.